You're listening to the sermon podcast by Southside Baptist Church in Florence, South Carolina. We exist to know God and to make Jesus known. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. Good morning. Man, I was, tell you what, being able to sit there and hear you sing this morning, what a joy that was in my life. So there's nothing I love more than hearing the church worship through singing. I believe that's one of the closest pictures to heaven that we have this side of it. And so, um, and so let me just encourage you in that. Uh, it is nothing more uh, better than to be a part of a church who sings and believes in singing because we're commanded to sing, but we're also unified through Jesus, through our singing and the power that we experience there. There's nothing like it. And so, um, so thank you for blessing my soul this morning. And um, it's so good to be here. And um, I told him this morning as we were rehearsing that I keep finding myself uh, just kind of poking myself and pinching myself that this is all real and uh, that I am here and, um, and, and able to be your pastor. I can never express how thankful I am for that. And so this morning, we're going to continue to dig in God's word and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 5 there this morning, if you have your Bible or a device, and I hope you do, we can open God's Word together. From the moment, though, I began to discern that God was calling my family to Southside Baptist Church, God began to stir this message and the series of messages that we're going to go through over the next few weeks. He began to stir this in my heart. I believe uh, without a doubt, the only way that we will succeed in glorifying God, discipling saints, and evangelizing the lost by taking the gospel to the nations, the only way that we will succeed in doing that is just as I preached last week, by looking to Jesus in every aspect of our lives. I believe that in everything, we have to look to Jesus individually and corporately as a church. And the way that we are able to do this consistently and regularly is through consistent prayer. And so I want to just encourage us this morning right out the gate in saying this. We have to be a people of prayer. That's a non-negotiable. We have to be a people of prayer. Just as a tree's roots give stability and nourishment to the life of the tree, prayer must be the rooted foundation in the lives of God's children individually and corporately as the church. Prayer is where we always always, always have to begin and finish. And I promise you right now in this moment that I have made a commitment as your pastor here at Southside Baptist Church to commit myself in prayer as I seek to lead us together as a church. Because I know and believe that prayer is everything that I need and we need as a church to follow Jesus together. But I want to also encourage you this morning by saying this, 
I can't pray alone. We together as the church, as the people of God, we have to commit ourselves together to seek the throne of grace, to pray consistently and to pray fervently for what God is leading us and would have us do here at Southside Baptist Church. And so Paul admonishes the church at Ephesus as he teaches them to wear the full armor of God, as he's teaching them how to battle against the spiritual, evil spiritual forces of this world, Paul tells them this. He says, pray at all times. And see, nothing has changed for you and me. We still, too, are battling against the evil spiritual forces of this world. We're at war. We're battling daily. And the words that we heard Paul tell the church at Ephesus are the words that you and I should hear this morning as well. Pray at all times. See, Paul knew the power of prayer. He knew and believed that power was the source and the strength of God in his life. And he experienced the power of prayer and the fruits of prayer in his life. And he knew and he believed in order for Christ's followers to live holy lives, prayer had to be central to their daily walk with Jesus. And Paul's life gave testimony to this truth over and over again. And nothing has changed. Prayer, too, is our greatest resource on this earth. And so knowing and believing this, I believe that God has called us as a church over the next few weeks to spend time studying about prayer. See, I believe every one of us in this room today, I believe everyone listening online would say that prayer is powerful and important. Amen? Amen. But if we're truly honest, I'm afraid too often that our lives and the cultures of our churches do not give evidence to this strong belief that we heartily amen. As Christ followers, too often prayer is the farthest thing from our minds. As Christ followers, prayer is often what comes into our minds when things have gone really south. And it's, it's that last ditch effort, that last resort. I can't figure out how to fix any of this on my own. So now I need to pray. But scripture teaches us something starkly, starkly different. Scripture teaches us that prayer is needed in every aspect of our Lives. And my greatest prayer is that Southside Baptist Church would be known as a church who is found on her knees. My prayer for us as a church is that our continual posture before our holy God in the universe would be that of a people who are on her knees and her heart fervently seeking our God in prayer. And so just as we learned last week, we're going to look to Jesus. We're going to look to Jesus and we're going to learn why we pray. We're going to learn next week 
To whom do we pray? And in the following we're going, we, we're going to look at how do we pray? And so as we go through the scriptures over the next week, or a couple of weeks, looking at Jesus' model prayer, we're going to use these lenses of questioning to help ourselves understand how God would have us pray. And so this morning, I want to draw our attention there to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. These are the words of Jesus as he's preaching his sermon there on the mount. And he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your word that's sharper than any two-edged sword, active and living and breathing, Father. And Father, right now, Would you speak into our hearts and to our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you illuminate your scriptures for us this morning? Father, use me to make much of Jesus. Father, remove any of my insufficiencies. Father, hide me behind the cross. Father, make this all about you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Lee and I are raising three girls. And I'm not going to call Sullivan out by name today, but one of our girls <laughs> loves to ask a question, or shall I say, loves to ask questions. But she has one particular question she loves to ask, and it's this question, why? Why? Some of you may remember that in raising little ones, or you might be raising little ones right now, and that word just echoes as I say it in the moment, but Why? She's always loved that question. And anytime she asked the question why and you gave her a really deliberate and good response, feeling really great about what you've just told her, you've answered that question, she would follow up right behind it with why. (laughs) And as frustrating as those why questions may be from time to time, why really and truly is a very good way in which to learn Because when we ask the question why, it provides a gateway into understanding and it allows us to understand the true purpose of what it is we're seeking to know. Asking the why question provides foundational truth and reason that exists in our lives at all times. Knowing why we pray is so important because it creates a foundational belief 
and a foundational reason in our lives that is true, regardless of our feelings, emotions, or circumstances. It's like, it's like going to the gym. Why do you go to the gym? It's good for your health. I don't feel like going to the gym. Doesn't matter. Still good for your health. Right? That why never changes. So why do we pray? Because it's not contingent upon you and me. It's contingent upon who God is and the opportunities that we have with him. And so having a foundational belief of why we pray, I believe will drive our hearts and our desires to pray to God in all circumstances. So for just a moment this morning, I want us to look directly at Jesus' model prayer there, beginning in verses uh, 9 through 13. That's where we're going to spend this morning. And we're going to look at the reasons that Jesus gives us to pray. The first thing he, he tells us there is that our Father in heaven. And so the first reason why we pray is we pray because God is our Father. We pray because God is our Father. Jesus begins his prayer by teaching us that the very one to whom we pray is our Father, who is in heaven. What an incredibly beautiful thought this morning for you and me. The very same Father in heaven who spoke everything into existence and rules over all of creation, that heavenly Father desires an intimate relationship with you and me. And we're seeing here this morning that the best way in which that relationship can be experienced is by and through prayer. And so just as a child, speaks with his or her father on this earth, we too, as children of God, are able to experience intimate conversation with our Father who is in heaven. This is an incredible gift that has been offered to you and me as children of God. Romans 8.15 teaches us that we have been adopted into the family of God. That because of Jesus and because of Jesus' work that we can cry out, Abba, Father, as sons and daughters of the most holy one. We're heirs with Jesus. This is our position before God. And so just as my children, they don't care who I'm talking to, they'll walk straight up to me and go, Dad, Dad, Dad. Because that's their position and their posture with me in understanding and knowing and believing that I am their dad. I am their father. And they know that I care about everything in their lives. Even if it's followed up with a wait one minute. Is anything bleeding or burning? If not, hold on a second. But the truth of the matter is our father in heaven is waiting on us to approach him because he cares about everything in our lives. God is our good father. We are God's children in Christ Jesus. Amen. 
Every single day that we wake up, we are God's children. If we breathe our final breath and enter into heaven, we are God's children. It's who we are. And it's a beautiful, beautiful gift from God through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray because God is our Father. The second reason we pray is because God is holy. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. And so while we do pray to our Father in heaven, as we do approach him boldly and confidently, just as a child would approach their father, Jesus wanted us to also understand that through our relationship with an intimate, personal God, our approach and our relationship with God should never be trite. We're not seeking superficiality. We're seeking truth. And so there is an honor and a reverence that must be maintained between us and our heavenly Father. Why? Because he is holy. That's what Jesus is telling us here. We revere God. We honor God. We worship God because he is holy and he is deserving of our worship. See, there is nothing blemished or sinful about God. There is nothing imperfect about God. He is set apart. He has always been. Everything exists because he exists. He is holy. And so we approach him with reverence. And we can take great comfort in knowing that our God is the sovereign God of the universe. See, knowing that God is holy, it places us in a correct posture before our God. It helps us understand our position before our God. Just as my children approach daddy sometimes and think they're in charge, and I have to remind them that that's not the posture that is the best way to approach mom or dad, we too have to understand as children of God that we are not in charge. So understanding that God is holy creates a right posture in our lives. But listen, as well, it also provides confidence in our prayers. Why? Because God is holy. He is the God of the universe. And so we can boldly and confidently approach God's throne of grace in prayer, knowing that our prayers will be heard and understood and cared about the holy, majestic, mighty God of the universe. What greater confidence can we have as we approach our Father in heaven? And so the one who is unfailing, the one who is always faithful, the one who never changes, he is the one who will always be seated on the throne when we approach him in prayer. And so we pray because God is holy. We also pray so that we can be a part of God's kingdom advancement. Look there, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus Christ came to the earth, God incarnate, God's kingdom was inaugurated right here on this earth. 
There was a manifestation of God's kingdom on this earth. And God's kingdom exists in Christ's reign within the hearts and the minds of his people and within the church as he reigns and rules and leads the church. And so therefore, we as a church should be praying consistently, praying consistently for God's kingdom to advance. We should be praying continually, seeking to understand how God would use us as his children to advance his kingdom. More than anything, more than anything, we as a church here at Southside Baptist Church, we should be committed to praying for lost souls. If I'm just being real with you this morning, one of the things that is always kind of struggled, that I've struggled with in the church is that when we get, gather for prayer gatherings, that we'll pray a lot for people who are physically sick, many of whom, most of whom know Jesus. And then we will walk out the room never having prayed for souls who are lost and dying and going to hell. And we believe that God is holy and that God is the savior of the world. And so we as a church, we must be committed in all circumstances for praying for lost souls. My heart has been blessed already this weekend as our, our students in a group there are at Strength to Stand. And I got a picture just yesterday from Tim Hahn of Chastity and Amy, two of our faithful church members standing there linked in arms with two girls who they had never met until they got there this weekend. And they were praying for those young women to receive Jesus. Amen. What joy. They had lived through circumstances in their life that had pulled them away from God. Things that I don't know how I would respond to in my own very life if I had to endure that. But by God's grace and God's sovereignty, he brought them the strength to stand this week. And he put two very faithful women in their lives to talk to them and lead them and to usher them to the throne of salvation. And so we need to understand that as the people of God, we need to be praying for God to do this and trusting that God is the God of salvation, that trusting that God is the God of the harvest. And so we're committed to praying, asking God to burden our hearts as a church for the lost. And so right now in this moment, I just want to ask you, will you commit, will you commit to praying for kingdom advancement. And I believe as we pray for kingdom advancement, God will shape our hearts and he will shape our minds to understand how it is where we're supposed to respond and move within that advancement as a church together. And so we pray so that God's kingdom may be advanced. But we also pray so that we will desire God's desires being done on this earth and in our own lives. Look what it says there. It says, your will be done. Your will be done. In our flesh, in our sinful nature, we are sinful. This is who we are. And out of that sinfulness, we are selfish. This is our default mode. It is our natural reaction and thought to most any circumstance. However, 
Jesus models for us a prayer that involves his father's desire being filled. Isn't that amazing? Jesus never said, you know, God, give me my will. But he said, your will be done. And so if we request God's will be done as it is in heaven on this earth, earnestly desiring that this request be true, there is truly in that moment a supernatural event that occurs within our hearts. That is the work of God because our hearts in that moment are being transformed to be more and more like the Father. Again, this isn't our default mode. It's not natural for us in our flesh, in our humanity to have these desires. But we pray so that our hearts will be changed to be more like the Father's. We pray so that we will desire the good will of God to occur on this earth above anything else. Above everything, we want the will of God to prevail. And so we have to understand my desires, they don't matter. Your desires don't matter. The desires of God and God aligning our hearts and helping us to understand and to trust and want those desires together corporately as the church, that's what matters. And that's what we need to be praying for. We can dream of all the plans we want. And according to the world, they can be great plans. But if we have not sought the will of God, if we have not earnestly laid our hearts at the feet of God and asked him to align our hearts with his heart, then our plans will all be done in vain. Everything will be done in vain. There'll be rubbish at best. And so we pray that God's desires will be our desires and that those desires will be done on this earth. We also pray because we have daily needs. Look what he says there. Give us this day our daily bread. And so in reality, this should be the absolute simplest concept for us to understand, right? You got needs, pray for them. But yet, it may be the hardest truth that you and I have trouble engaging. Because see, we are very self-sufficient people. Most of us in this room, if not all of us, are not concerned about what we're going to eat when we leave church. Most of us are not concerned about where we're going to sleep tonight. Most of us are not concerned about how we're going to get home after church or if there is gas in our car. We are a self-sufficient people. However, even in our self-sufficiency, we were reminded just this very week in the life of one of our own how quickly life can change. 
and how truly dependent we are upon God with our lives. See, the Barrett family was having a normal week until the phone rang. And Jay and Misty understood that their son Luke had lost consciousness and his heart had quit beating and they were rushing him, flying him to Charleston, South Carolina, to MUSC. And it's in those types of moments, in those very moments, we understand and we know right then and there that we are powerless and that we have many needs. But today, because of who God is and his sovereign work and his love and his compassion, we can celebrate that Luke is home and doing well. And so I just want to take a moment this morning and let's give God a hand this morning and praise him and thank him. Jay, where are you, brother? There you are, man. Yes, absolutely, buddy. Yes. And I have marveled at the way in which the church has surrounded this family this week. And I praise God for that. But God gave us a lesson right here this week in understanding that we are powerless. We think we have it all figured out and all together, but we're not in control. And one of the ways in which God supplies our needs daily is by and through the church. And this week we had the opportunity to pray for this family. But the reality of it is, too, the, the circumstances that they incurred bring about financial stress and struggles as well. And so we as a church, we've decided that next Sunday we're going to take up a love offering. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, you have a week to prepare. And so we would love to bless this family and to care for them in that way, just to help as if they had some other um, experiences in the past few months that, that have required them to be out of work and things of that nature as well. And so if you feel God leading you to bless this family and to help supply the needs of a church brother and sister and their child, would you come next week prepared to give? But we aren't as sufficient as we might think. We need to consistently praise God for what it is he has blessed us with. And we need to live our lives with open hands, knowing that God wants us to call upon him daily and to continually ask him to provide our needs. And when we trust upon God to provide us our needs, I can promise you, I can testify that God will give you abundantly more than you could ever dream or think. And so we pray because we have daily needs. We also pray because we are sinners. It says here, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so within the Greek, the word there, parasmos, can be translated to temptation or it can be translated to trial. And we see this in chapter one of James' letter. And within that chapter, we read of testing, and we also read of temptation later there in those verses. But we find the same Greek word to be true in both instances. And so in translating the Greek word parasmos to English, the context of what is being communicated matters. And so relying upon James 1.13 
We understand that no man is tempted by God. There's nothing evil about God. Therefore, he cannot lead you and me to be tempted. So in this moment, you know, as I wrestle through that, I'm asking myself this question. What is Jesus talking about here? As he says, to lead us not into temptation. We don't have time this morning to really jump into James 1. You're like, absolutely, no, we don't have time for that. We don't have time to go to James 1 and study there this morning. But if we look, if we had the time, what we would see there is that trials in this life produce steadfastness and faithfulness in the lives of God's children. And God allows trials to occur in our lives. But if we continue to read through chapter 1, what we begin to understand is it's through those trials that in our flesh and in our humanity that temptations begin to arise in our lives. In every trial, in every circumstance of our life, we have a choice. Will I choose God or will I choose myself? And so in this moment, we understand that there are real temptations that lurk around every corner. And those temptations seek to entice us to sin against God. And so Jesus is reminding us in this moment, the power of God, the power of God over every aspect of our lives. If we go see, read Job, we see there that God allows Satan to test Job. Satan couldn't do anything that God didn't allow him to do. And it's in those moments that Job experienced temptations right out the gate of those testings. Who would he worship? Who would he follow? Who would he trust? And this is the same thing that Jesus is saying to us in this moment that we should pray. Just as Jesus prayed in the garden, it is a righteous prayer to ask God to take these things from me. Take this cup from me, Father. But to also understand that that same God in heaven is the one who just told us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so sometimes we find ourselves holding the cup. Sometimes we find ourselves having to drink from the cup of trials and struggles. And what we need is for God to prepare and protect our hearts so that in seasons of struggles and seasons of trials that we know that he is protecting us and restraining us from the temptations of sin. And so we pray because we are sinners. And then finally, we pray because we must forgive. For if you, give, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, there is absolutely no one, or there's absolutely only one reason why we can approach the throne room of heaven and declare our Father who art in heaven. And it is this, Jesus left his throne in heaven, came to this earth, he lived perfectly, he died sacrificially, and he rose powerfully on the third day, conquering sin and death so that you and I might have a right relationship with our Father in heaven. Jesus endured the full wrath, the full penalty of our sin. And so every time we pray, 
Every time we say our Father in heaven, we are giving testimony to the beautiful work of Jesus Christ in our lives because that opportunity does not exist apart from Jesus. And so in this moment, Jesus is not calling us to seek salvation daily. But what Jesus is calling us to do is to cleanse and purify our hearts daily before our God, knowing and believing that sin corrupts our hearts and that we have to get it out. And instead of doing that, you know, every six months, Jesus says we should do that daily. It's kind of like cleaning your house. You know, I remember when my mom, we did that over Christmas. Leah was just like, you know what? All this stuff's got to go. And we just started throwing things out, you know? And it was just crazy. And everything was like just, just a little bit of chaos. But the reality of it is, if we don't clean our houses regularly, within a few weeks, it's just going to be a big old mess, right? And our hearts are the exact same way. We have to continually clean our hearts Continually seek God and say, forgive me of my debts, Father. Forgive me of my debts daily. And we're going to spend time on the next few weeks talking more about this. But the desire is that we would have a pure heart before God. And then he also says here, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So there's an understanding that just as we have been forgiven, we too should show forgiveness. Because Jesus understands that not forgiving just creates bitterness, harshness, hardness in our hearts. And right now in this moment, you might be saying, yeah, but there's that one person. You, you don't know what they did to me. There's a bloody stained cross that says forgiveness is for all. There's a bloody stained cross that says that there was a beautiful sacrifice that we don't even fully understand that was given for each of us. And so today, I pray that we would look to forgive. And so, as we look back to that original opening portion there of our Father in Heaven, there's a glaring reality this morning that we understand that Jesus is implying that those who pray are children of God, saved people of God. And so before we can pray, before any of this truly makes sense, we have to trust God for salvation. Trust God to change our hearts, to change our minds, to change who we are and to make us children of God. So my desire is that everyone in this room would seek God through prayer. But I don't want to miss that crucial step this morning. First and foremost, that if you are a child of God, you're not a child of God. That forgiveness is here this morning. 
That the Father in heaven is looking upon us now and saying, come to me. Come to me now. And he's waiting and willing to change our hearts for us to be his child. And so if you've never done that, today is the day of salvation. Would you come this morning? Pastor Josh will be up here. I'll be up front this morning. Would you come? We would love nothing more than to pray with you, to lead you, to walk with you through this moment. But I earnestly ask you to not leave this place this morning without first knowing Jesus. This morning as a church, I want to again ask us to commit to prayer. Would we pray how Jesus would have us pray? Trusting him in all things. And so in just a moment, we're going to continue to have this song playing. I'm just going to ask us to bow our heads and to pray. You can pray where you are. You can pray here at this altar. But I want us this morning in this moment to pause and to pray to God and ask God to make our hearts desire, the, the, the desires of his heart. To trust him, to follow him in all things to make our mission, to make our purposes his mission, his purposes. To help us to see those glaring places of life where we need forgiveness and we need to show forgiveness. And also this morning too, if you don't have a church home, if you have not taken that step in joining and being a part of the faith family here at Southside Baptist Church, I would encourage you to do that today. Just come forward and we can talk about that. But the church is, it's not a country club. That's, that's not the membership we talk about. But instead, that membership is a, it's an eternal membership that's a part of something bigger and greater than ourselves. It's a part of God's global kingdom. So when we trust Jesus, we're, we're a part, we're members of the global church, but God would call us to be a part of the local church. And when we step forward in membership and profess Christ and, and are a part of the church, we are aligning ourselves placing ourselves in a position to be a part of God's local church. And we would love to have you. Just this week, we saw how the church, who she is. And we would love for you to be a part of this faith family. So wherever you are in this moment, the altar's open. However God is leading you, would you just bow your heads? Would you pray as we seek God together?